0: Hi, this is Randall Schwartz, host of Floss Weekly. This week, Michael Tonelk is back. He's joining me to talk about access code, which is a way to get monetization for your open source software. You're not going to want to miss this, so stay tuned. Floss Weekly is brought to you from LastPass Studios. Stay in control when it comes to your company's access points and authentication. LastPass makes enterprise-level security simple. Check out lastpass.com twit to learn more podcasts you love, from people you trust, this, this is TWIT. This is Floss Weekly with Randall Schwartz and Michael tonell episode 570 recorded Friday, March 20th, 2020, access code. This episode of Floss Weekly is brought to you by ExpressVPN, protect your online privacy with one click. For three extra months free with a one-year package, go to expressvpn.com slash floss and by LastPass. From access to authentication to passwords, LastPass manages every entry point to your business, so you can mitigate risk while improving employee productivity. Visit lastpass.com twit to find out how they can help you. It's time for FLOSS Weekly, the show about free Libre open source software. I'm your host, Randall Schwartz. Merlin at bringing you each week the movers, the shakers, the big projects, little projects, projects you may be using every day and not aware of it, projects you might want to play with right after this show. I think this might be one of those. I'm speaking to you from uh, the Tijuana kitchen set, as we like to call it, because you see the kitchen right behind me, and I'll be here for the next two weeks as well. Uh, presuming things don't go really weird with the coronavirus. Um, and so far, I seem to have avoided that. But, uh, you know, knock on wood. Definitely knock on wood. Uh, joining me uh, f- for the first time in, in, I think, many months. We were trying to figure that out just before the show. Uh, Michael Tunnel, back again. And I think I mangled your last name. Why don't you tell me? You tell did, me your last
1: that's all right. <laughs> it's Uh
0: Tunell. It? Uh, okay. It's the emphasis on yeah. the second
1: syllable. So, so where are you speaking to us from? Uh, the wonderful state of Alabama and wonderful in an asterisks next to that. All right.
0: <laughs> yes, right. Yes. Uh, so um, I um, I flew down here uh, yesterday and I seem to so far have avoided, other than being around uh, people in a big metal tube at 30,000 feet, I think I'm probably okay. I'm pretty resilient based on all the track that I've spent all this time go to conferences and things like that, so I should be okay. And mm. I'm not noticing any scratchy throat or anything like that so far. We've got an interesting project today. Um, let's see what the blurb was for it. Uh, X S Code is the name of the thing, and uh, I didn't move the, the guest name into the right place. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. This shows how little preparation I was doing for today's show, I was like really crazy. Um, Oh, Chen Rabbit, uh, I probably should pronounce that as well. He's the co-founder of accesscode.com. And uh, basically, it's it's it has a wonderful promise. Turn your open source project into a steady revenue stream. That sounds like a really good thing to do. Imagine uh, that might come in handy these days because uh, you know, people are being laid off. People are having to work from home. Um, there we go. So, yes. Um, So uh, I I didn't research much of this because I I had a really bad sleep night again. I got to bed early and woke up at 3 a.m. and and I was trying to figure out what to do to to not prepare for the show. Um, So I'm kind of a little at a loss for this. Uh, What do you know about this so far, Michael? Michael.
1: Uh, I think it's, I, I looked into it a little bit. I, I think it's, it's got a lot of potential. Like I'm, I'm very interested in finding out more about it. I think that this, this concept is very important. I think that, you know, having open source's biggest issue is really the, how do you monetize this thing? How do you make it sustainable? How do you continue to do it without having to worry about, do you have enough time to spend to it in your spare time or can you actually devote more time to it? So I think there's a lot of potential for this kind of service. Cool,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, we have plenty to talk about today, so let's. Uh, uh, we're going to get right into that right after this important message because this episode of Floss Weekly is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Most of us like to browse the Internet without the rest of the world knowing what we're doing. We all know about incognito windows and browsers, but did you know that even in incognito mode... Your online activity can still be traced. Even if you clear your browsing history, your internet service provider can see every single website you've ever visited. That's why you should never go online without using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN makes sure that your ISP can't see which sites you visit. Instead, your internet connection is rerouted through ExpressVPN's secure servers. Each ExpressVPN server has an IP address that's shared amongst thousands of users. This means that everything you do is anonymized and can't be traced back to you. ExpressVPN also encrypts 100% of your data in the best-in-class encryption, so your information is always protected. Even when you're using public Wi-Fi, like at a cafe or hotel, ExpressVPN has you covered on every device. Simply tap one button and you're protected. ExpressVPN has the fastest, most trusted VPN on the market. It's rated number one by Tech Radar, Wired, The Verge, and others. Protect your online activity today with a VPN that many people trust to secure their privacy. Visit my special link, expressvpn.com/floss, and you'll get an extra three months free for a one-year package. That's EXPRESSVPN.com/floss. Visit expressvpn.com/floss to learn more. And we thank ExpressVPN for their support of Floss Weekly. And now let's go ahead and bring on our guest, uh, Jen. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you for having me. And, and where are you speaking to us from? I think it's a long ways away. Um, yeah, I'm speaking from Herzliya, Israel, which is a suburb of Tel Aviv, currently okay. in a state of lockdown.
0: Ah, well, who is it really? I mean, now it's just getting worse and worse all the time. So, but we need that. We need to stop, uh, you know, spreading it by having people sort of stay stay put. You know, people are staying there, working from home, and. And uh, people are on uh, uh, self-imposed lockdowns. So it's, uh, it's it's getting to be a little crazy out there. So I don't know whether I'm safer yeah. here in Tijuana or whether I'm safer in uh, be- uh, Beaverton, Oregon, which I heard there was a like, number of cases. I mean, the state of Oregon, which is in a, pretty much a lockdown now, too. So uh, I don't know where it's actually going to be safer to be here or be up there. Uh, I bet there's going to be more um, medicine here, uh, for, for taking care of any kind of, uh, uh, breach, but, uh, we, we don't know. We'll see. Anyway. So talk to us about, uh, about, uh, uh, um, oh, how do you pronounce it too? Cause it's like a, uh, XS so code. We Is pro- that we pronounce, yeah, we
2: pronounce it excess code, like access
0: code. So. Oh, okay. Cool. And tell us the 30,000 foot view. What, what are people fixing, or when they reach for access code or when they start using the website?
2: Okay, so what we're trying to solve is the open source sustainability problem, which you probably all know that it's a big problem, it's a big issue, and a lot of open source developers are looking for a way to get the resources they need to keep developing their projects. So what we are offering is a way for developers to offer products and services on top of the code they host on GitHub, for example, and by that, uh, getting uh, a, a way of monetization that extends the current ways of monetization like donations and sponsorships and, and whatnot. So um, we basically want to give developers the ability to uh, make money with their code, but while keeping their code open source and free. We don't want the code to close. We want the ecosystem to keep working and we want uh, we, we just want to give the developers the ability to and the resources to keep creating the great software we are all, all using. Right. Yeah, I know it's it's a
0: in, in the 13 years of doing this show, maybe 14 by now, it's several ways. We've had probably a dozen different funding models. Um, you know, some of our least favorite ones are things like Open Core, where you know you have to, you get sort of the the beginner kit for free, but then you'd have to pay to get anything that does anything useful. Um, how is how is access code um, access code I guess? Um, how is that different from uh, many of the other models that we've probably had here on FLOSS Weekly?
2: Well, the main difference is that our platform is both code agnostic and model agnostic. That means that as a developer, you get to choose how you you monetize your code. You can offer services like uh, ongoing maintenance, like uh, priority bug fixing, like consulting, integration, customization, etc. Or you can offer an open core model if that's your thing. We're all for it and another thing you can offer is paid licensing using a dual a dual licensing model so basically we give the developers the flexibility uh to offer what works for them each project is different projects are wide very different from each other and developers are different and and also the companies who are willing to pay are different so basically we want to give developers a lot of flexibility in deciding from pricing to model to whatever they want and and of course, they can still work in tandem with other uh, um, other methods, like accepting donations and, and and the like. So basically, our our goal is 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 freedom, and not just in the sense of, of, of free software, but also freedom for the developers to to decide how they want to monetize.
0: One of the trickiest things I think for people who are trying to get money in is is coming up with a suitable. Um, let's see, what do they call it? Fulfillment. Uh, system, a payment system, do we solve that problem?
2: So uh, when users are, uh, when users sign up to our platform, we handle all the billing and invoicing for them. So uh, they don't need to incorporate as a company. Uh, we basically offer them proven business models that already exist today, like big companies like Red Hat and Redis and Mongo, they already have business models built on top of open source projects. And when a developer joins our, our platform, he, he selects the model he wants to work with. And we are the ones who are doing all the heavy lifting in terms of payment processing, subscription management, if the developer uh, wants to offer a subscription or uh, and not a one-time fee thing. And basically we handle all the finances and, and that is mainly for uh, relieving developers from the, the corporate nightmares, we call them, uh, attached to creating a business. And we want developers to focus on on writing great software and not handling, you know, all those annoying, pesky taxes and fees and licensing and billing and et cetera. So, the developer does not need to have anything. We we use Payoneer, which is an amazing uh, payout system to to give developers the revenue they are generating in the platform, and it's pretty easy for for them to to get started.
1: Yeah, I was actually about to ask which uh, platform you use behind the scenes, but you said Payoneer. Uh, And that's one of the interesting ones. Uh, How much do you think that it's as far as like a headache comes with using this kind of service for, you know, like because they're going to have to do taxes in terms of like income taxes. How does that handle as far as like the ease of use for the developer getting started with this?
2: Well, that really depends on the developer, because in terms of taxes for what the Deduction of taxes for the developer, we, we do not handle any of that. The, the developer needs to file his own taxes and we don't, an, we don't actually manage taxes for the individual developer. That is done uh, in, front of, in front of the tax authorities in each, in each country. We just do the payout mm-hmm. itself and the billing itself. Anything that is tax related, sure. we, we can't really in- interfere. That makes sense. Um I was
1: just wondering in general if like you've had a policy like on that that, that specific things I think a lot of developers would be, you know, would be interested in knowing that kind of policy. Uh I'm also curious you said that this this uh, system works on uh GitHub and did does it work on any other things like for example can you use this with GitLab?
2: Uh not as of yet. We just launched the platform this December, so it's fairly new, and we, we decided to go with GitHub because it's currently the largest, but we are working hard on adding support for GitLab and Bitbucket, and hopefully that would, it, it's definitely in our roadmap, and, and hopefully within the next few months it'll be available as well.
1: Okay, cool. Uh, I'm, I'm also curious about how you earlier you talked about the donation structure and how you offer new service, other business models and services and this stuff. So how does this relate to something that's kind of in the uh, not in the same realm, but sort of in doing like these uh, Patreon responses campaigns where they have rewards they can sign up for? How do you have that kind of thing where what how does this differ from that in terms of like what extra services and you know ease of use the developer has?
2: so basically when when it comes to donations platform uh donations are voluntary and basically it's 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 an all carrots no sticks approach and just companies decide uh how much they want to donate and when and there's really no exchange of of goods or services it's it's just out of their uh out of their own volition and and we've actually investigated this thing and 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 tried to understand why and like why companies sponsor or donate to open source projects. And, and it's, it, I know it's, it's counterintuitive, but most companies from what we, from what we could gather, uh, most companies donate not from the research R and D uh, budget, but from the marketing budget, because donations is good for marketing. And it's not necessarily mm-hmm. because of, of a need. It's, it's, it's more for a, uh, from a marketing perspective. And, and that's fine. And, and, and anything that gets developers the resources they need, we're all for it. But the way we look at Access Code is 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 not just waiting for someone to donate. It's by giving them actual value that companies can pay for, and and creating a new open source economy. Because today, open source, it's 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 a one way it's it's a one way street. Developers work hard, create amazing software. We're all using it. Software companies are using open source components and. In commercial software, the average uh, big software project uses about from 300 to 1,000 open source components, and they rarely use they rarely pay for using them. So we want to give developers uh, a way to provide paid value to the, the companies who are using their code, and and by that generating revenue they can rely on and, and not wait for for a company that might or might not donate and might or might not might not re-donate or donate again next year so uh, we want to give the power to the developers and 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 give them the ability to to decide and decide how much to to charge what to charge for they want to give service if they want to give license totally up to them
1: yeah that's actually really uh, really awesome i i like the concept of this you know this approach i think I, i think that it is definitely something that is very needed. I think that there's a lot of problems with open source code sustainability in many cases where people are doing it in their spare time. And then companies will then use something for even years and ignore the contribution back and just expect like they're entitled to use it or something. So it's, it, I, I, I think that you're, you're right that there is a a big gap in this, this, this situation, because there's so much potential for open source company or open source projects to make money, uh, especially from companies that utilize it. And there's also, you know, cases like Redis where they were being there, all their stuff was being used and they changed their model specifically because they were not getting, you know, any contributions back and stuff. So like, there's a lot of, uh, issues in this field. So I'm glad that you're making something like this. Uh, and I'm also curious, um is there any kind of restrictions or requirements in order to get started with access code is there any uh like do you have like i know that you, don't, you probably don't have to close it because close your code or anything because that would you know contradict the concept but is there are there any restrictions and requirements in order to get started
2: well basically the only thing we ask is that you prove that you are indeed the owner of the repository you want to offer uh, products and services on top of. So we know people can't you know, hijack other people's repositories. Uh, basically, we ask you to install a read-only GitHub app on your repository just to make sure that, just to verify you are indeed its rightful owner. And that's, that's the, just the, the, the basic thing we require. Um, once you start diving deeper into uh, the different models, there are certain limitations for services, there are almost no limitations, but um, there is one um, specific limitation if you are working with a dual licensing model. There are several legal implications of using, uh, open source licenses are a bit complex, and uh, if you would want to offer a dual licensing model, you would need to comply with some of the restrictions. Uh, we have we have those on the website. I, it's, I don't want to dive into the legalese right now, but um, you would need to, be able to relicense your code if you want to offer it with a uh, with dual licensing model. That usually requires the consent of everybody that donated uh, code to your project before. Without diving it too deeper into that, it's it's pretty simple to get started. But if you want to start, you know, offering complex models, it, it there are several limitations. OK, that's pretty interesting. I mean, I
1: I know people, you know, the legalese and stuff is not something we want to dive into because here too, thereafter and first party, the first part world, whatever stuff. I don't even know what I just said. And there's so many different licensing structures yeah. that are like, yeah, I get why you don't want to go into it but uh, yeah. there's you, you talked about how you had to verify being the owner and stuff like that. What about projects that have multiple contributors? How do they get involved in doing a thing, and also how do you distribute the revenue between multiple people who are you know let's say a project has five contri- or five main contributors that are controlling it? How did they you know as a collective get started with using access code that's
2: that's a great question um we know that a lot of projects are, developer, are developed in small groups. And basically, um, each one of the collaborators on GitHub who has right access to the repository can start offering, can install the app and start offering it on access code. And um, on the platform, you can uh, add any other access code user to your project and start sharing your revenue with them. You decide what the revenue share between each... Uh, of the contributors, and 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 get going. There's you can offer, you can split any project to an unlimited amount of contributors, and you can even change that uh, distribution uh, even if a, a new person uh, joins the team. So basically, we we really believe in in offering revenue sharing, and we want to have teams collaborate and and create great software together, and. It's 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 one of the core features that that we 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 implemented early on because we do want developers to be able to share the revenue and not just uh, if 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 some guy started a project and and uh, we don't want him to keep all the revenue we want him to, to spread it's, it it's not it, it's not obligated to do so but we highly encourage it.
0: So I can't, let, uh, I can't let Michael have all the fun, so uh, I'm going to jump, interrupt here for the, an important message. Because this episode of Floss Weekly is brought to you by LastPass. Securing every access point in your business is critical, but it's challenging for IT to improve security without impacting employee productivity. LastPass provides you with a balance of strong security that's also easy for your employees to use and manage. With LastPass, employees benefit from a solution that's easy to use while IT maintains control over every login. LastPass offers multiple solutions for businesses. LastPass Identity unifies password management, single sign-on, and biometric multi-factor authentication into one single solution. Adaptive authentication combines biometric and contextual intelligence to prove a user's identity with a variety of flexible MFA options. Eliminate Passwords. Leverage biometrics and integrations to streamline access to work applications without ever having to type a password. Secure every access point from web applications to workstations and VPN. Manage every access point in your business. Deploy instantly. LastPass Identity offers more than 1,200 pre integrated SSL solutions to get users up and running quickly. Granular control without the hassle. Leverage 100 plus policies to manage users of the app, individual, group, or organizational level to customize access and authentication requirements. And LastPass goes above and beyond to ensure security for all of its users. Your data is encrypted and decrypted at the device level. Your master password and the keys used to encrypt and decrypt data are never sent to the LastPass servers and are never accessed by LastPass. As the gold standard, they engage trusted, world-class, third-party security firms to conduct routine audits and testing of their services and infrastructure. Increased security doesn't have to be complex. LastPass makes identity and access management simple for IT to manage and easy for employees to use. Start your journey today by visiting lastpass.com. To find out how they can help you, that's LastPass.com/swit, and we thank LastPass for their support of Floss Weekly. So let's go ahead and uh, resume some questions here. Um, so we've seen that this is uh, a, a fairly new project. Uh, what are your what are your odds for success? What do you think? Uh, are you are you uh, gaining new uh, customers?
2: Yeah, so uh, we launched this last December, and we've been getting a lot of really positive feedback from the developers who are joining the platform. We're having dozens of uh, new developers join daily, and um, we are optimistic, and we believe that we are offering something that's new, and um, it's it's a model that has not been done before for the individual developers, Uh, and... Mm. But it, it has been; these models have been successful for big companies. So we are really optimistic, and the community is giving us uh, so much positive feedback. We just came back from about a month ago from FOSDEM, which is the largest uh, open source convention in Europe. It was held in Brussels just before the Corona outbreak, <laughs> where everything shut, shut down. And uh-huh. we met with a lot of open source developers, and uh, when we spoke to them about the concept and about the idea. Everybody was really excited and, and really hyped. And we've actually spoken to so many developers and, and we we asked them, have you ever been contacted by a company that was using your code and wanted to buy uh, a product or a service like a bug fix or a license from you? And and I think from the about 200 or so people we asked, about 25, maybe 30% said yes, that companies have... Uh, issued like open issues, or or uh, added pull requests, or just emailed me. Listen, I need a bug fix for this, or I can we buy a different license for that? And developers were inclined to do so, but th- there was a lot of complication in actually making that happen because there was no platform to facilitate the the billing and the legal framework and the, the structuring the the. the the, the offering and, and the communications and there are a lot of roadblocks if, if if a company wants to work with, with an individual. So we're hoping we are going to be the platform that eliminates all these friction points and, and roadblocks and, and really helps the, the software companies work with the, the open source developers. The, the thing is that the, the way we see it, open software companies already have a relationship with open source developers. They are using their code in, in commercial projects. And and the the companies we've spoken to are very eager for a relationship with the developers behind the code they are using. And and so we are hoping to be the ones who actually make this happen and and make uh, a two-sided relationship between the developers and the companies. We we think it's it's in the benefit of everyone.
0: Cool. And so how did this project get started?
2: Uh, Actually, it started (laughs) – Uh, My co-founder, Netanel, which is the CEO, and and I, uh, we, in our previous venture, uh, we had a company that was dealing with uh, self-service video ads. It was a very complicated rendering technology on top of browsers, and we used a lot of open source components when we created our product. And we used to joke that open source is free, but expensive, because we had a lot of problems with open source components and the, the, the code itself was free, but uh, but the management overhead as a software company of using it was sometimes amazing. And we started digging in and we, we found that almost 25% of code maintenance time goes to maintaining open source uh, components that your team didn't write. And, when we tried reaching out to developers to get help with with their open source components it's not the components were not good but we had like you know edge cases and we needed integrations and customization and, and dig and start to dive into a big code base you don't really know is is complicated and when 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 our last venture was closed unfortunately we decided that we we're going to tackle the biggest pain point we had which was open source components and, and, and getting support from the developers who actually create the components. And and then that is when XS Code was born. Cool, cool. And uh, uh, how what's the governance look like? Is it the, the three
0: of you sort of directing the flow of the company? Uh,
2: right now, it's a uh, me and Nathaniel, my co-founder, we are managing the, the team, and we are about 10 people working in different capacities from social media and marketing, development, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, basically, it's uh, just the two of us, and we are uh, investor-backed and uh, looking, for, uh, looking to get more traction and uh, really making a difference in the, in, the open source, uh, in the open source world. What's the biggest thing that's missing right now? You mean in terms of of, of product or in the company? What do you mean? Excess code. Well, I think the the biggest thing that is missing now is uh, awareness. We want to gain as much awareness from the software company side, not from the not just from the developer side. We want to make sure that companies know that they can now approach open source developers uh, behind the code they are using, and and ask for for products and services and and ask for support. And I think awareness is is the biggest thing. And for any new startup that's, you know, that's the traction and and, and awarenesses are the biggest challenges. And that's where we're, that's what we're facing now. And we're fairly new. As I said, we just launched in December and uh, uh, hopefully that, that we'll start getting more and more traction. People would, would, would notice us. And uh, as as you said at, at the beginning of the show, you know, it's, it's now our, Difficult times for developers, and 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 we really hope that uh, developers who need to stay home can you know start generating revenue and 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 start making money with while sitting at home and creating the code they love. And if if we can do that, we we consider our mission accomplished. Cool,
0: cool. And uh, Loquacious V two in the uh, chat room asks our traditional go- joke question, which is, uh, when will blockchain be incorporated?
2: Never. <laughs> 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 we we the, actually the, the, it, it was it was uh, it was it was a joke early on. We said we're going to do the payments model in blockchain and now um, it's it's, yeah. <laughs> it's not for us. Cool. Cool.
0: Um, uh, Michael, you got some more questions?
1: Yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of a lot of stuff you're saying is really interesting to me, and I'm because I'm I've done the development for open source, and I'm also a very big contributor in a lot of open source things. How what's the the process of like just getting involved with this with the service? Like, let's say for example, a developer wants to do this. What is the process of getting involved overall? Like, do they just is it just setting up the README thing, or do they have to sign up for a service? And you know how. Let's say from beginning to end, like how fast could someone get involved with this? Like what is the burden on the developer in that sense?
2: Okay, so basically it's fairly easy to get started. You need to sign up on our platform, uh, import your repository, uh, install our GitHub app on on your repository and and import it. That takes minutes. And then you can start adding items for sale. For example, a service item or like uh, five support hours for X dollars. Uh, or uh, offer a, um, an open core model when you can uh, when you can sell a, a subset of your code uh, that is not publicly available. We, it's it's not open source, but still that's a model people like. Or if you want to offer a dual licensing item, so you set up your items, and that can also take a few minutes, uh, and and you're good to go. Um, basically, using the, the the system itself is is very simple, and we hope it's it's intuitive. Um, you do need to prepare in advance if you want to offer, for example, a, a subset of your code that's like a a pro version or a premium version. So you would have to prepare that in advance, and uh, and 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 only then upload it. The, by the way, the the way we handle this is by uh, allowing developers to create a private repository uh, on their GitHub account, and we give uh, only paying users access to that private repository. So. You can you can offer the subset of your code uh, on on a private repository, so so it's easier to maintain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's 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 pretty simple and straightforward. You just sign up, and we've had users uh, get started within from ten minutes to to an hour, and re- that really depends on on what you're offering. Uh, if you're offering a dual licensing model, that usually also takes uh takes time and and some preparation, but if you want to offer services you're good to go in five minutes nice it's it's very interesting because the way you're describing it it kind of sounds like
1: this is something that github should have done a very long time ago when they had the private repositories that seems like a logical step so you're filling that void which is really cool um so like what are the limitations of things that you can sell on access code are is it just anything or is it just like certain structures with the the project can they you know look at it in different revenue v- streams and different ventures but still use access code to do it uh,
2: yeah it's it's not mutually exclusive you can still work with any other um, uh, monetization models we 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 don't really mind uh, vice versa I mean we we prefer developers use as many options as they can to get the resources they need Um Basically, there are no actual restrictions as long as you're offering something that is legal and you are capable of fulfilling. Um, if, if, you can't off, if you can't, I don't know, provide a thousand hours of uh, monthly support, so please don't offer that because we would probably have a problem with that. Um, but <laughs> basically, as long as you can fulfill um, what you are offering, it's fine. You can offer either a service, uh, a code, or a license. So, other than that, there's a lot of flexibility on top of that. So, I,
1: I have a couple uh, a couple of questions that are kind of related, in, in terms of like the finance and stuff involved. Uh, so, first of all, uh, how much does it cost for a developer to get involved? Like, do you, uh, is it like is it like a monthly system or is it like a transactional system?
2: It's a transactional system. Using Xcode code is entirely free. And uh, you keep 75% of the transactions you make. uh, So you don't have to pay anything unless you're making money. That's pretty much it. Nice. You actually
1: answered the other question, which was like, what percentage is it? How is it structured? Uh, Which is actually interesting because the 75% is higher than the normal standard of, you know, doing these, this kind of platform things. So that's really cool to hear. So when do you, like, what... What is your approach to for, I don't know, maybe uh, getting new developers involved? Is it more focused on contacting? I understand like the brand awareness is a very key thing there. But are you trying to reach out to different developers themselves, the project themselves, or also trying to get companies to help with, you know, companies that already use these projects and how to get them involved as well? Like what is your main direction of trying to get people who are interested into this project to actually utilize it?
2: So it's, that's also, that's a great question and we're working on both fronts. We're also working with developers and developer groups and try to get them to start moving their projects into access code and start creating uh, items for sale on top of that. And we're very involved in the open source community, both here in Israel where we started and in the US and Europe, we're starting to uh, get more and more involved with, with, with other communities on other projects. And also, we are also working with uh, software companies and major open source projects uh, who have uh, an ecosystem of their own. There are a lot of, you know, major open source projects like Redis, for example. We have a lot of open source uh, projects built around Redis and Red Hat has a lot of open and big ecosystem around that. So we're trying to work with uh, projects like those and start uh, uh, gaining the awareness we need uh to get people uh moving so like uh like any other uh two-sided relationship platform like any marketplace for the, for that matter um getting both the supply and the demand is 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 equally important and we're working uh we're working on on, on both fronts to get as many people on the platform as possible yeah that's that's
1: really awesome um uh, i'm i'm curious also what do you think is the, like, the fundamental piece that you offer to the, like, to, to the ecosystem that they couldn't do with, like, you know, going to Payoneer or Stripe or something like that? Like, I understand it's, like, the ease of access, but, like, what is the, like, do you think is, like, the main selling point for the service that developers would be, you know, wanted
2: to jump onto? Well, I think that... Well, today, if you would want to do that as an individual developer and start offering products and services on top of your code, you would have all the roadblocks I, I said before. You would need to set up a billing and, and transaction processing infrastructure. You would need some sort of legal framework in terms of service and privacy policy and all the legalese that people don't like to handle. Uh, you would need to set up some form of, of communication with your clients. Uh, you would need to be able to uh, present and structure what you are offering. You would need a place to do that, and also there's another thing which is trust. And um, basically, and I, I can say from from the software company's perspective, buying things from people on the internet is less appealing to to, to corporations. Corporations like to buy from a trusted party, and a lot of times uh, companies are it, it's it's difficult for companies to buy from individuals and uh we we see ourselves as being as the trusted third party that's connecting the individual developers and the software companies and we we not just offer the trust but we offer everything the developer needs to get started quickly instead of uh you know handling a lot of moving parts and i think f- first is is the ease of uh, ease of use the second is the trust and and another thing is that even if you would set up a, a website with a store, with the transaction processing and the billing and the Stripe and, and everything, you would still need traffic, and we bring the traffic. So that's that's also a key part. Uh, if if you have an, an amazing store but nobody's nobody no clients are lining up at the door, so uh, that won't work. So we see ourselves as as also the platform that brings in the traffic to the to the developers and to make sure they. They actually have people buying
1: that's really interesting I, I think that the the main thing about like th- what i 'm interested about this platform is just the ease of access like i'm asking you questions that are you know just kind of like if I was t- as a developer and my like and not in the same like the bigger level of that kind of thing, but like that's the first thing I would want to find out is like how much does it save me in terms of time so like the idea that excess code is available is really really interesting and really cool because there's so many Variables that you have to deal with, like you know, you're saying that you essentially have to be a developer and a business manager in order to do this, and uh, that's a very interesting point. And I'm curious about something that's somewhat related to your previous work. You're like your previous company with like video editing and that kind of thing. I'm curious. And this is not necessarily related to Excess Code, so sorry if it's like a little bit of a tangent. But I'm curious sure. about what your your experience with the open source video editor tools, and like which one do you prefer? And just overall, which one do you think is like a good option? And do you think that open source uh, video editing is something that is worth, you know, pursuing in general?
2: Well, as, as a person who has been dealing with post-production and video editing for, I don't know, 20 years or so, uh um, it's, it's an industry that suffers from a severe lack of open source. It's a highly, highly proprietary field. And there are so little open source projects in, in the video editing and post-production field. And it's slowly changing. And I haven't been in the, in the industry for the past seven or eight years. So I'm, I'm afraid I can't provide any perspective on, on any current open source projects. I, I can't tell you uh, about FFmpeg, which is an amazing open source project mm-hmm. that everybody is using. And it's a totally one of my top three favorite open source projects ever. Uh, but video editing is is and, and graphic design suffers from from a, a real shortage of of open source initiatives and I really hope that this would change in the, in the in the near future and if, if If access code would be able to contribute to that, that's amazing and even if, if even if not um I think there's uh, probably too much power held in 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 a too small number of companies who are doing everything. And I really yeah. hope to see, start seeing um, uh, video editing tools there's th- i think there 's one exception, which is Blender, which is an amazing 3 uh, d package and it 's completely open source but that's right. that 's an exception i i can 't name any uh, decent video editing well i don 't want to say decent because maybe i maybe there's something i don 't know i don 't know i don 't want to say that it 's not decent um, i i can 't say i 'm familiar with any video editing tools that are, you know, widely used and are open source, maybe I think in graphic design, maybe GIMP is is the exception, Um, but I really (laughs) hope to see, I, yeah, well, well, in In the world of video editing, there are
1: options, but they're mostly like Linux related options. Like there's a few that are like Live or Shotcut and stuff like that, but they're not like, they're not professional level anyway. So I'm just, I was just wondering in general, but your point about FFMPEG is fantastic. And I think that FFMPEG is one of those examples that perfectly fits access code because FFMPEG is a fundamental piece that basically everyone who does any kind of video rendering, editing conversions yep. or whatever is using. And I don't think FFMPEG has a model other than like maybe donations and stuff like that. Cause I think they have something with the S the SPI people, but the, there's a lot of potential and stuff like that. Cause there's so many projects like, uh, you know, that, uh, the network pro- time protocol, the, you know, M- of MPEG, there's just things that are all in the back, like the back burner and no one really ever sees them because they're just fundamental pieces of other software. So I think XS Code is a fantastic approach to be able to, you know, support those in like, for example, if you're already making software using those, you could, u- they could just sign up for XS Code and be able to implement a way of making money from that sense. So I think that's a really awesome idea.
2: Great, thank you so much.
0: Yeah, and we're almost out of time, so I want to start wrapping up here. Um, is there anything we didn't ask you that you want to make sure our audience is aware of before we have to let you go?
2: Um, I think we pretty much covered everything. It's a pretty straightforward tool and pretty straightforward approach. And um, I really hope people uh, start using and, and 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 create better software for all of us. That's That's pretty much it.
0: Yeah, and Redcon 5 in the chat room also said, and Image Magic, So that's another one that uh, uh, has a lot of tools, a lot of technology uh, all in there for, yeah. yeah. All right, so, um, um, and I have two final questions that I have to get or else my audience gets mad at me. Uh, What's your favorite scripting language?
2: Uh, I'm a JavaScript person.
0: Okay, that'll work. And what's your favorite text editor? Uh, I'm Sublime Person. Sublime. Okay, cool. Cool. Well, that's been great. That's the choice. We could could probably go on for another hour or so. So maybe we'll have you back in about a year or so to kind of see, have an update of what's actually happened with XS code. Yeah, that'll be great. That'll be fun. Um, Anyway, uh, Chen, thanks for coming on the show and talking to us about your new project. And uh, I wish you all the success you have.
2: Thank you, Randall and Michael. It was great being here. Okay, great. Thanks. That was uh, uh,
0: Chen. Hold uh, sh- it off again. Darn it. Uh, uh, Chen Ride? Read?
1: Rabbit. Of those.
0: Rabbit. Oh, there we go. Sorry. You're supposed to be gone by now. Uh, wh- wh- what do you think there, Michael?
1: I mean, I'm super ex- interested in this. I think that there's so much potential in this pr- kind of, uh, you know, this, this, pro- this, there's a problem that is just massive in terms of open source. Like, because, w- basically open source has taken over in terms of enterprise and server and all kinds of stuff. It's just, it's now becoming like a staple where big companies are looking into open source first in many ways, but there's, there's still this big gap of while yes, big companies might be using it, you're not benefiting that project anyway. And like there's examples where, you know, giant companies like Amazon were not helping out the things that they were using. And there's, and Google in some cases weren't doing that either. And there's a lot of there's a lot of gap in this uh, this situation and I think that there's someone coming in and making a platform that uh, makes it possible for developers to get started in a quick and easy approach without having to worry about all the different business management and stuff involved. I think that's a fantastic idea and I wish them all the best in this.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And, and it's funny because, you know, back when we started with open source software, we said, how do, you, how do you give away something for free and make money at it? And now we have so many different models to choose from. That it's almost uh, almost insane. You know, it is. We need a, a comparison chart that shows all all the different models and and downsides and upsides to each of those. Uh, maybe maybe I can get something on the uh, on the Foss Weekly um, uh, wiki page or something. Anyway, um, so uh, we're almost at time as I said. So I have nothing else to contribute to that particular conversation. Let me scroll down to upcoming guests. Scroll, scroll, scroll. I had to scroll the other way to get there. one. Next week, we've got f coming on. It's an installable catalog of free and open source software applications for the Android platform. The client makes it easy to, inst- to browse, install, and keep track of updates on your device. Hydra, uh, they were rescheduled because of, uh, because of items, uh, it's a framework for elegantly configuring complex applications. Uh, Pimcore creates frictionless, personalized customer experiences on top of your master data across all channels and touchpoints in real time. That one's going to be a good one for buzzword bingo, I think. Uh, XCPNG, which is a turnkey open source hypervisor. That sounds like fun. Contractor, not actual contractor, but a contractor is a builder of anything. It is targeted to be used as a generic API to create, destroy, and manipulate your resources no matter what or where they are. This enables you to focus on what you want to make and not have to worry about the details and difference in deployments. And rescheduled because of spam, my my email going out is getting trapped about once every three times in, in the spam filters now. So I had to send out a little short message that says, I'm going to send out another message and it's going to be this long. And if it's... Uh, if it's uh, um, if if you don't get the second message within a few minutes, then uh, email me back and we'll find another way to get it to you, or look in your spam folder. That's really the, uh, the right solution for that. Um, so NetData was reached because of that because I they didn't hear from me at all. They thought, oh, are we still on the show? Yeah, you were, but uh, not now. That's when we did that news show, the, the little quick quickie news that. that um, 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 Oh, now I'm, I'm blanking on everybody's name. It's because I didn't get enough sleep. It's got to be it. Uh, you can go to the homepage for this show, slash floss. And if you have other suggestions, please tell the project leader or community coordinator to email me. Uh, we have a live stream at 9:30 a.m. Pacific time, normally Wednesdays, but we get preempted on Wednesday. On Friday, we got preempted to Friday, that's was, and it's on at live at twit.tv. You can uh, talk to us there. Uh, You can follow us at at Floss Weekly on Twitter. You can follow me at at Merlin on Twitter. And you can join us at the forum twit.community. There's a special um, thread there, special channel, I think it is, specifically for Floss Weekly. And almost immediately after the show gets uh, put up, uh, the the little article gets made there so we can uh, discuss things here. Uh, I have a big plug today. I... um, I, uh, I was working for Supercooter until three days ago and they laid off all of their contractors. Uh, this is all related to the coronavirus stuff. So I am now desperately, I was supposed to work for another um, two months on the current contract. So I'm, I'm cut off of about a month and a half of income. And uh, I'm desperately looking for new work. I would prefer to be in Pearl because I'm, I'm an expert in that. But I, I, can, I actually have a lot of flexibility, and uh, I would prefer to be in the SoCal area. So, uh, but I'm, I'm I'm willing to telecommute anywhere. So as long as I can get to it from Wi-Fi, I'm, I'm happy with it. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a little I'm uh, a little under stress right now. A little a little uh, above stress because I didn't have a lot of money built up ahead of that, I'm down to my last, um, my last $1,000 actually in between my business and my personal accounts. Uh, I get paid another, I think $8,100 in about three weeks or maybe two weeks, presuming they uh, approve the, uh, the, uh, invoice, but it'll be my last invoice for them. So I'm looking, I'm looking, if you got any suggestions, Merlin at com. be sure to uh, send them to me and, uh, we'll see if we can, uh, get me back employed. I'm thinking of even doing something like a crowdfunding model of some kind. So, because I know that there's been a lot of people that have uh, over the years thanked me for the contributions I've made. And if I can get crowdfunded for that, um, I think I could probably survive a little bit further. So, um, uh, so we'll, we'll see. It, you know, it's, it's stressful. It's stressful, but it's all I can do is, is uh, do that. So, um, yeah, I hope to get a source of work. Thank you, loquacious. We do. Uh, okay, I think that's all I had to plug. Uh, what's what? What do you have to plug there, Michael?
1: Uh, well, you can check out my podcast network where we do Network, and it's mostly Linux and open source related stuff. So if you like this kind of content, there's you know a lot more f- f- available for you if you'd like it. And uh, you can check out uh, my content on there. We, I do like three different podcasts there and I also do a bunch of videos that are specifically Linux related, but also open source in many ways as well uh, on my YouTube channel, which you can find at tuxdigital.com. Uh, you can also find it from the Network, And uh, we have a big community that we are doing for like the open source and linux related stuff so feel free to come check that out because we have a destination linux.network forum and all kinds of stuff like that and uh, yeah I, I just really am a big fan of open source and linux so if you are too check out that stuff and uh, yeah we can connect and maybe contribute or collaborate and stuff and find ways for you to help contribute to various different projects if you're interested in that kind of thing so uh, be sure to check it out destination
0: well, Michael, it's good to see you back again. I guess it would depend. Uh, we're trying to figure out it before the show how long it's been, but uh, I'm guessing about six months, but uh, I could be wrong. It's uh, I hope it was not that answer. long. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. All right. So we'll and uh, so thanks for being on the show, being the co-host, and we'll yeah. see you all again next week on Philosophy Weekly.